Hey, uh, I want to say thank you real quick uh, to our staff team. Retreat, as you guys know, there's a lot going on at Retreat. And staff team, thank you for doing an awesome job at Retreat. I know... I know it doesn't always get said a lot. I meant to do this at retreat. I totally blanked at the, uh, the, the huddle that we did. I got whacked in the back and <laughs> kind of got distracted a little bit. But anyway, staff team, you rock. I know that retreat does not start when the students get there. I know retreat does not end when the students leave. Uh, there's a lot of setup. There's a lot of teardown. So I appreciate you guys a lot. You worked your butts off. Um, but... That's what we do, right? Because we love you so much, we are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So, you rock. That was awesome. Thank you. I, I don't like forgetting that, so I appreciate that, that you remembered it. Cool. Hey, uh, okay, so in the past, I talked about my dad a little bit. I'm going to share a little bit of story, uh, kind of help us get into our, our conversation for the night. Uh, I talked about my dad in the past. Uh, I love my dad. We were really good friends. Uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, if you don't, don't remember that uh, slightly awkward sermon. Uh, but uh, one of the things that I want to share with you tonight is, oh, there he is. Cool. Uh, less about uh, that and, and more about uh, just some of the basic stuff that you have going through life. All right. So first and foremost, my dad, awesome guy. He was a pastor. Um, and some of you are like, oh, but I also want to want you to remember, pastors are not perfect, all right? Nobody's perfect. Pastors are not perfect. So my dad was at a church for a really long time. Uh, it was the church I grew up in. Uh, and at some point, I'm not really sure exactly when things begin to change, uh, but he, he actually got offered another job when I was in middle school. Pastor, it happens, right? You know? Uh, pastors move around, blah, blah, blah. I was really fortunate. My, my, my sister and I and my mom, we actually were at a church, uh, well, all of my life up until the time I was like 10, something like that. But we had, they'd been there for 16 years. So they'd, they'd been at this church for a really long time. Very fortunate. Um, but in the process of getting offered this position, dad, uh, for whatever reason, and we can talk more about that later, uh, started looking into this position that was kind of ill-advised. Um, it, it had many characteristics of this could be promising. This is also really risky, um, not, not in an immoral way, but in a um, this may not turn out the way you think. You're getting paid less. You're, uh, you're, you're living in a parsonage. The, the building, the, the house that the church owns, right? You're moving out of a building the church owns into an apartment that you're having to pay for now, uh, but you're also getting paid less. Um, you're in a church that uh, is substantially farther away from your, your core, from the people that kind of supported you and stuff. Um, oh, and like multiple random people uh, have been kind of telling you like, are you sure this sounds like a good idea? I'm not sure this sounds like a good idea. My mom was going to have to quit her job and she couldn't find another one. Uh, so there were a lot of red flags uh, going into this position that the dad ended up taking. Um, and in the process, what ended up happening was we found ourselves in a state where it was like, well, 
we're not going to be able to provide for our family unless something major happens. So something major happened. My mom and my dad, through my middle school years, lived separated. They didn't get divorced. Um, uh, if you have questions about divorce, come talk to me afterwards. I, the way I say that, I just I don't know how it comes across. I want you to talk to me if you got a question about divorce. They didn't get divorced. Um, however, uh, I mean, it was basically like they were, okay? Uh, my parents still loved each other. Uh, they were not happy with each other during this time, uh, but they still loved each other. It was really hard on our family. Uh, my mom kept her job two and a half hours away so that we could actually, you know, buy food and do stuff like that. Uh, because the other church was not paying us enough. We couldn't afford stuff. Mom couldn't find another job. Uh, that was reasonable. Uh, she had been a teacher for a long time. Couldn't find a teaching job in the area. Um, and just miracle of miracles, her old job, when she had resigned from it, basically told her in July, hey, you know how you resigned from that job? I didn't really turn in your resignation to the board. So you haven't actually resigned yet. Would you like to come back? And it actually allowed us to be able to go back to the place, the, the school that I had already gone to school uh, pretty much all my life there. My mom was able to keep her job. She was able to keep her pay salary, her sick days, everything. Like, they took care of us. And then on top of that, they found us a place to live. Uh, there was a little lady in town that had a house that she was wanting to rent out. We rented out this house, honestly, for a lot less um, than we could have. Um, so God, in a lot of ways, took care of us. But it caused a really big hole in our in our family. Uh, our my sister had major issues. With my dad after that. I had some pretty big issues with my dad after that. And eventually, dad quit his job. It was pretty crappy. He was like, you know, this isn't worth it. I'm I, I literally am seeing my family fall apart, and this is not okay. So he quit his job and he moved back uh, to the area. So I mean, mom was working. And he began to get a couple of whatever jobs he could that would basically help him to, to make ends meet. Um, so long story short, uh, it was very rough on our family. And there was a lot of bitterness that began to build up in me, uh, bitterness that began to build up in my sister. And, and honestly, even between my mom and dad, uh, you know, years later, there would be times that something, you know, somebody would say something, it would just kind of spark something. You could tell there was like, ooh, there's still something there. Um, so why do I say this? I say this because, well, just in general, we have aspects of life that do this to all of us. We have things in life, major events in life, um, sometimes it's family, sometimes it's not, that honestly can develop this aspect of bitterness. It can develop this aspect of unforgiveness in us, and we need to begin as Christians to talk about it. Um, in life, people hurt us, right? Uh, sometimes, unfortunately, it's not a one-time thing. Sometimes it is a series of events. Sometimes it's an ongoing situation that causes uh, issues between us and other people, and honestly, we don't release them of those things, that we carry those things with us. Um, sometimes, and this is, this is one of the ones that I want to draw out a little bit later on, uh, we have issues that happen between us and another individual, and in a lot of situations, we continue to let that situation hurt us even though the situation is over. The situation is done. The situation is passed. It was a one-time thing. It was a series of one-time things. And it is no longer happening currently. 
but we continue to relive it in our heads over and over and over again and feel that pain over and over again. Giving forgiveness is a journey. It's a process. And it's not easy. I'm not making it out to be easy. Tonight, our title is A Journey of Mercy. And so we are going to look at Beatitu- uh, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Um, Matthew 5, 7 uh, is the Beatitude that we're going to be looking at tonight. We've been kind of going through these things, talking about um, how the Beatitudes represent Jesus and how Jesus lived out these, these statements that he made in Matthew 5. But also, in making those statements, he's expecting his people that follow him that they are going to actually live out those statements too. So we're going to begin to turn a corner. We're going to stop uh, focusing uh, the majority of our time on how Jesus fulfilled these things. We are going to talk about how Jesus fulfilled these things, but we're going to focus more of our time on how we need to live these things out. So Matthew 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Okay. Seems pretty straightforward. This is one of those statements that I want to actually help you guys wrap your minds around that this is a statement that doesn't just show up a couple of times in Scripture. Okay? This shows up at least three times in Matthew. It shows up in Mark, in Luke, in John. So all of the Gospels have this statement show up in it. Paul talks about it quite often. James talks about it quite often. So this isn't just one little thing that Jesus said, and then we move on. This is something that not only did Jesus say multiple times, first of all, if it would show up in a gospel, right? You got to remember, the people that are writing the gospel, they have a purpose for writing the gospel. If Matthew has written this three times in his own gospel, it must have been important. Jesus must have said it a lot, right? In fact, we know that this idea of forgiveness and unforgiveness, not just mercy, but forgiveness, shows up about 140 times in the New Testament, okay? Forgiveness is a major, major aspect of what Jesus is telling us to do. But tonight, we're talking about mercy, and forgiveness is an aspect of mercy. Okay, so what does mercy mean? All right, the English translation of, of, uh, well, English, English, (laughs) Uh, the definition is compassion or forgiveness shown to one whom we have the power. Testing. Sorry. Um, So mercy is something that we have power over another person to offer them or not to offer them. Um, In in Greek, the definition of mercy is mercy. It's just mercy. That's all it is. It's like literally... Everything that you would expect, the definition in English I just read, that's what it is, all right? So that's always fun when that happens. However, in Hebrew, there's a little bit of a spin to it. Um, The Hebrew word, which again is the Hebrews, the Jews spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. Um, The context of the New Testament is based out of uh, the Old Testament. It's out of the the Jewish uh, culture, which they spoke Hebrew. The Hebrew word for mercy is actually kased, all right? I don't know if I said that right. Uh, You'll have to look it up later. But kased is, I think, how you say it, C-H-E-S-E-D-H. It is not just sympathy. It's not just what we would consider to be like this idea of compassion uh, or forgiveness. 
But the concept actually comes from this idea of getting into a person's skin so that we can understand what they are experiencing. I, it's October, it's a little graphic, but, but this is the concept that we're talking about, that you're actually, instead of just saying, I am, I am wanting to forgive this person or have mercy on this person that did something to me, it's actually, I want to understand. I want to actually understand why they did the things that they did, right? We're identifying with another person. Um, and, and so as we are looking at this, I want to take a, a look real quick at Matthew 18. I'm not going to read this entire story. Uh, I really love this story, and I, to be honest with you, I've preached on it way too many times. Um, I don't know if that's possible. But in this story in Matthew 18, Jesus tells a parable, a story, um, about a servant who is working for a king. And that servant has now brought up a debt, and the king says, hey, I need you to pay this, or you're going to go to jail. And it turns out that the debt is more than the servant can ever pay. So what does a servant do? Well, he begs for mercy. And you know what? The king gives it to him. Cool. Great. Well, the following part of the story, though, this, the servant actually goes to another guy who owns him a debt, and he says, I'm sending you to jail unless you can pay this, and he sends the guy off to jail. The king hears about it, and king gets mad. So then in Matthew 18, verse 32, Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your servant just as I had uh, mercy on you? In anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how, this is what Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Pretty harsh. Jesus is normally a little bit more on the warm and fuzzy side, right, when we talk about him. In this moment, he is not so much, okay? Why? Because Jesus is painting a picture of him having mercy on us. And then somehow we are not able to have mercy on our brothers and sisters. Uh, in Matthew 6, Jesus actually says, And forgive us our debts, he's talking about prayer, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you also. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. Do you see how serious this is? All right? This is one of these times where Jesus is not joking around. Now, what do we believe about forgiveness? We believe you cannot earn forgiveness. There's nothing you can do to earn forgiveness, right? Jesus offers you freely forgiveness. But then he says, your faith will allow you to be forgiven and considered righteous. This is what we talked about last week, right? However, our faith is supposed to be lived out not just in what we believe, but in what we do. Faith is a combination of belief turned into action. And if our belief does not actually take us to the place where we can forgive someone else, our faith is not very genuine. Okay? 
I'm not asking you to call into question your faith today. Our faith is, uh, we, one of the theological terms we talk about faith is that it is uh, both instantaneous and it's progressive, right? Faith starts at a moment in time when you put your hope in Jesus. And you say, yes, Jesus is the way. But we all recognize in our own human understanding of the world, things don't stay there. My little girl at home, Abby, right, she'll talk about how she has faith in Jesus, that she wants Jesus to come live in her heart, right? And then day by day, she keeps, like, surprising Kim and I with these random questions about heaven and will I have rainbow-colored hair in heaven and, you know, like, uh, Pappy, will Pappy be in heaven and, and will he still know me and, like, what will he look like and all these things. And it's like, ah, you got some deep questions, kid. Guess what? Her faith is growing, Right? Our faith should grow. It should not stay where it it started. That is what Jesus is intending in this whole time. Jesus expects us to behave like him. Jesus embodies this concept of mercy. Why? Because Jesus left heaven and got into our skin. He came as humanity as the ultimate symbol and representation of what mercy is. To see life, to experience life from our perspective, to feel what we feel, to think what we thought. This is what Jesus did. God came to humanity not as a detached, majestic king, but as a vulnerable, humble child. Jesus was on a journey of mercy. So what does this all mean for us, okay? One of the great truths of life is that we see in other people what we are aware of in ourselves. I'm going to say this again. One of the great truths in life is that we see in other people what we are aware of in ourselves, all right? Now, I am an Enneagram type 1. If you know what that means, cool. If you don't, don't worry about it. It's not that big a deal. I am very self-critical, right? I find, and other people close to me find, that there are times that I can be critical of other people, right? Because in general, I see things in me that I want to change, and often I end up seeing those same things in other people. This is not just a me thing. It's not just an Enneagram type 1 thing. It's a people thing, right? It's just a little bit more extreme in me, okay? Let's just be honest. That's just my personality type. Um, it's not always okay, so I don't need to be critical on people. This is not a, it's not a thing that I get to explain away. I still need to be nice. I still need to say things in a way that you can hear them, right? But we all do this, right? How many of you have been around a person that drives you nuts because they're just like you, right? Uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but I, I feel you, <laughs> right? So when, when we see these things in other people, right, it, it kind of can start to annoy us a little bit. But there are also times that we're drawn to people that are like us, right? So the thing that you see in you that's good, you're drawn to that in somebody else. The thing that that is in you that's bad, you kind of like, ooh, I hate that in them, right? This is a symptom of our fallen nature, okay? Why, all right? As we look at God, we are supposed to be a reflection of his image, All right, think about it this way. You're supposed to be a mirror. 
God looks into you, and you reflect him back out. The problem is, when we fell, we suddenly forgot that we're a mirror, and we started thinking that we're the object, and everybody else is the mirror. Right? We start to look at the people around us and see the things that they're reflecting back at us that are actually aspects of us. Okay? And this is what sin is, that we think we're the object. When in reality, how much more would we be able to love people if we recognized I'm looking at Jesus and I'm reflecting Jesus back, I'm looking at Tristan and I'm seeing Jesus look back at me. Until I can see Jesus in other people, I can't honor people well. Okay? This is the issue that we have is that we keep thinking that we are the center of the universe. See, God gives us forgiveness when we repent, when we realize, oh, I made something, I did something dumb. I need to walk away from that. I need to turn from it, turn from your sin, your selfishness, your pride, and then he forgives you. But when we don't forgive other people, all of a sudden, it turns things around. It totally stops our growth. Because when we can't forgive other people, suddenly we're no longer reflecting Jesus. We're no longer reflecting who God has created us to be, right? Suddenly, we have become the object, and everybody else has become the mirror again, right? And we don't like the mirror sometimes. Our salvation, again, is instantaneous and it's progressive. I'm not saying you can't forgive somebody, you're going to lose your salvation. However, I am saying you very much could because Jesus says so. I will not forgive you unless you forgive those that have wronged you. Okay? If you continue to live a lifestyle of unforgiveness, I will tell you and I am telling you that what the Bible is saying is that you will eventually walk away from wanting to repent and be living in this lifestyle of reflecting Jesus, okay? This is how serious this is. We have to get this forgiveness thing. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, okay? I'm telling you right now, I don't want you to stress out, and I don't want you to be like, well, I can't forgive that person because of all these reasons. Guess what? I don't know what the reasons are. There are good reasons out there to struggle with forgiveness, okay? 100%. And I'm not trying to minimize those things, okay? I am also trying to help you understand that Jesus still straight up says you have to forgive, okay? Oftentimes, when we're dealing with forgiveness, one of the things that I find is really important, and this is why we talk about this all the time, we share life with each other because suddenly when we know each other, it makes it a lot easier to understand the reasons that you are the way that you are, okay? I'm going to be honest with you. I can get really mad at people, right, when they cut me off or, you know, all these other type of things. I can get really mad at people I don't know very well. But once I start to know you guys, you're my people, right? You're my people because, well, number one, I choose you. You're also choosing to be around. But I totally choose you. You're my people, And as I get to know you, it gets really easy for me to forgive you, right? Because I know you. And I start to understand some of the background things that you have going on. And I'm like, man, you know, like, I totally understand. I, I totally get it. Like, it doesn't make it right, but I totally get it. It's okay, right? But when I don't know people, it's very easy 
to just be bitter and to just be like, no, 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 no. I don't. I don't forgive, right? With my dad, I have to... I have to be honest with you. I thought in high school that I had forgiven my dad and I was over it and all that type of stuff. And then I went to college and all of a sudden I was in a, a time like this and somebody was talking about uh, Father Heart of God. And to be honest with you, uh, I, I had a really strong reaction and I realized very quickly, oh my gosh, I still have major issues with my dad and I didn't quite realize that's what it was. But in college, I was able to process through and deal with some stuff, and I was actually able to get to a point where I was able to forgive my dad. Now, does that mean I totally understood everything? And No, actually it doesn't. Like, to be honest, the other day, I had a really crazy moment where I realized that the age I am now is the age my dad was when he made that decision. And I'm like, when I was a kid, I kind of looked at dad like, you should have known better. And I went through college saying, Dad, you should have known better. You should have known better than to run after, in my mind, run after your career, right? Because maybe you have a midlife crisis and you felt like you had hit a dead end in your job and you hadn't done anything and this was your opportunity, this was your chance, and God was opening a door. And in my head, I'm like, you should have known better. You should have known better than to go after your own glory type of thing. And then as a 38-year-old, I'm like, I'm 38, right? Okay. <laughs> as a 38-year-old, I'm like, oh, if dad is me, I totally know that I do not know everything. I know there's a lot of things out there that I'm like, oh, I suddenly understand a little differently. I understand a lot more of the question marks and a lot more of the, the gray areas that he had to go through. I still don't agree with his decision. However, I would say that I totally understand a lot better and all of a sudden my, my uh, even still as I work through it, I, I have forgiven my dad. I have totally moved on from this. I still recognize it hurt, right? Because when, when you have stuff in your life that hurts you, the hurt doesn't stop because you forgive people, right? That pain doesn't just magically go away. But we focus on it a lot less, okay? But I would say that, that even in then, like when I do have those moments of thinking back to that situation and being like, oh, suddenly now with where I'm at now, it is not, honestly, irritation at my dad. I, I feel sorry for him that he went through all that, that he had to process a lot of that stuff alone. When we are able to begin to get in other people's skin, see things from the way they see it, and not the way, I'm not saying, okay, uh, I'm not saying, Jake, I'm going I'm to use you as an example, all right? I'm not saying I'm going to get into the spot where Jake is sitting and look this way and think like James and still be James but sitting where Jake is. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I'm going to go sit over there by Jake know Jake, know how he thinks, know how he feels, know his history, and then suddenly use that to look back at this situation and say, how is that impacting him? This is the type of getting in somebody else's skin. This is the type of mercy that we have to have in life.
okay? We do not have the same backgrounds. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're from the same area. You do not have the same experience as somebody else has. We have to share life so that we can understand what other people are going through. We need to be on a journey of mercy. So now it's time for my little disclaimer, okay? Um, For those of us in this room that have experienced tragic, horrible things in their life, I'm not talking about, uh, okay, I'm not even talking about my mom and dad lived separated while I was in middle school. I'm talking about stuff that's deeper and darker and worse. I'm talking about almost the borderline evil stuff in this world that has happened to us, okay? What, what I would say in this is that we are still called to forgive, even in those evil areas. However, Jesus doesn't say that we are saying when we forgive people, when we are giving them mercy, we, he doesn't say that we're making what they did right or we're saying it was right, okay? Because honestly, if you look at what the Bible says, when you call evil things good, now you are evil, okay? So evil is still evil, but we still have to have mercy. We still have to forgive. Sometimes it's more for you than it is for them, okay? I'm just going to say that just to make us feel a little bit better about it, but still we must do it. Forgiveness is not leaving the door open for that person to hurt us again, okay? There are times, right, where honestly forgiveness should bring reconciliation most of the time. But to be honest, we're human, and that doesn't always work, okay? Because it takes two people to reconcile. Sometimes one person doesn't want to reconcile. So you got to forgive and you got to move on. And sometimes there's two people involved and you want to forgive but you also know it's not safe to reconcile. My, my statement to you in that situation, if you're not safe, you don't reconcile in that way. You don't give them room to come back and hurt you in some way, physically, emotionally, sexually, okay? Don't put yourself in that situation. It, that is okay. You still need to forgive, okay? Bitterness is a poison we take hoping someone else will die. All right? We must give mercy. I would even say with these situations that at a certain point, you need to be able to take time. And I honestly, I would say counseling. This is what counseling comes in. You take time in counseling to view it from this other person's point of view. Now, you may still come to the conclusion. I don't know how they would have done that. That's fine. But you still need to begin to start to understand where did this come from? Okay? Here's the process that I'm going to hit on, and then I'm going to begin wrapping up. So the process in forgiving people, and it is a process, and it takes time. It doesn't have to happen overnight. If you are thinking about a specific situation in your life, and you're like, I can't forgive this person, what I need to ask you to do is to begin asking God, hey, I'm not at this place where I can forgive them yet. And he's going to say, I appreciate the honesty. And then he's going to say, you still need to forgive them. And then 
What you need to say is, I need you to help me to get to that place where I would be willing to forgive them. This is a good start, okay? This is going the right direction. Because now our heart is still in that place where we're still saying to God, I want to be like you, I want to reflect you, but I'm not there yet. I'm not reflecting you yet. My mirror is still kind of dirty, and it needs a little bit of polishing, okay? So we begin by being willing, step one. Step two, I well, I guess A, whatever. Then we tell God what happened and make sure that we have hashed it out with him. Because there are going to be times when you talk to God about these things that he's going to speak back to you. And sometimes he's going to tell you, that was very wrong. I'm sorry that happened to you. And sometimes he's going to start to be like, you're right, that was very wrong. I'm sorry that happened to you. But do you remember this other thing that you did? Kind of helped the situation get out of hand. And so suddenly he's helping you to deal with some stuff too. We're going to repent of any wrong that we've done in the situation. And in time, you're going to pray for a blessing on this individual. Why do we pray for blessing? It's the thing we say often. When you have something in your life you need to change, you, you can't just quit, right? In our minds, I don't know if you have this, but in, in our minds, as people have heard us, sometimes you kind of hit, like, replay or whatever on that, that situation, and it keeps going back and forth in your mind over and over and over again, right? You relive it. Oh, I wish I should said this. Oh, you know. Oh, well, if this happened, I would have been, you know. You kind of replay it over and over. You can't just quit when you're doing that. It won't work. It'll keep coming back. You'll quit for a little while. You'll think about something else, and then, boop, it's back, right, all of a sudden. What you have to do is you have to replace it with something, and that's praying for them. Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies, okay? If this person is your enemy, then you got to pray for them. If this person is just somebody that's hurt you, you got to pray for them. Pray a blessing on them. For some people, it's not going to be a big deal. They're going to make us mad. We're going to pray for them. That's going to be the end of it. It's going to go away. You're going you're to start to forget about it. Little thing. Some people, it's a big thing. And you're going to pray for them. And you're going to be like, Jesus, I want good things for this person, but I really don't actually want that. And he's going to be like, all right. And then maybe the next day it's going to come up again. You're going, Jesus, I really, I want to pray this prayer. I want good things for them, but I don't really mean it. And he's going to be like, all right. And then a couple months later, you're going to be like, Jesus, I, I really don't like that this person could get good things when I got bad things. But I actually, I want things to be better for them. And Jesus will be like, all right. And gradually, little by little, you're going to get to that place where you're going to actually feel it a little bit more, okay? And maybe in that process, you're going to see things and experience things that are going to help you understand better, and you're going to be able to believe those statements and those prayers more. And finally, you're going to end the cycle, okay? Ending the cycle is basically not being a part of making the situation worse. Mercy is not bringing punishment on a person that you have the power to punish, right? God has given us a lot of authority in our lives, right? We can pray blessings on people. 
right? Praying a blessing on this person begins to end the cycle. There's also times in humanity where a situation can happen, and I can be annoyed at a person, and I can have a situation where I can take a buddy and be like, hey, that guy over there, he's a jerk, right? And I can help make that situation a lot worse by talking about a person. But instead, we have to end the cycle. We let it go. We move on. We don't replay it. When we do replay it, we pray instead. We replace it with prayer. When you end that cycle, suddenly you're going to have a lot better time forgiving people. All right, so I'm going to begin wrapping up tonight. Here's the deal. We're on a journey of mercy. Our journey of mercy must be getting into the skin of the other people around us, okay? We need to learn to not just see what we see, but we need to learn to see how other people see. That's a major aspect of sharing life. That's in small group when people are having like spotlight or, or whatever you guys are calling it. Uh, what was that? No, doesn't matter. The, the, the thing that you do at the end of small group, the beginning of small group, where you, you ask people questions and stuff like that, this is what this is for so that we can know people better, so that we can understand people better, so we can see from their perspective better because it's going to make you better. Why? Well, a lot of times when we can see from other people's perspective, we can see aspects of Jesus that we couldn't see before. And it's going to make you better. It's going to make you a much richer person. When you only see Jesus from your perspective, honestly, you're kind of one-dimensional. You're kind of flat. But suddenly when we start taking time to see Jesus from other people's perspectives, we get a lot more depth to us, right? We, we can actually reflect Jesus almost more in 3D rather than in 2D. So we're on a journey of mercy together. Who do you need to forgive? Did I, did I write that wrong? Oh, do you need forgiveness? All right, that's, that's much better. I'm, I appreciate that you, you fixed that and made it good. Um, do you need forgiveness tonight from Jesus? It's always a question we need to be asking because, to be honest with you, as, as we know, we're not perfect, right? Because you're not perfect, guess what? Jesus isn't fixing everything all at one time, all right? One day he's fixing this little thing. The next day he's fixing something bigger, all right? Do you need forgiveness tonight? And the second thing that we need to be asking ourselves is, who do you need to begin that journey of forgiving, okay? What we're going to do is we're going to enter into a kind of a quiet time of response, and I want you to feel free to go throughout the room, find a spot, and pray. I also want you to feel free to go and talk to someone. If you've got something going on in your life that you would consider to be a big deal, somebody that you're like, man, I'm having a hard time forgiving this person, I want you to go and talk to somebody about this. Don't just let it be something you deal with quietly, okay? All right. Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. I want to end and uh, begin closing in prayer.